Welcome to Capital Class. I'm Adam Geary. We founded Capital Class to share candid conversations with market-leading businesses while humanizing the journey of constructing an enterprise. The legacy business model of corporations, both big and small, is changing. A successful company for most of modern society was measured by one metric, the bottom line. Yet the rise of the conscious consumer has required businesses to evolve their goals, to not only include profit, but to also be a powerful tool of change for society. Today, businesses are taking steps to both serve their customers and communities. And in today's class, we ask the question, what is corporate social responsibility? And what are great organizations doing to make corporate social responsibility both attainable and actionable? To answer these questions, we are joined by Christiana Mertens, founder and CEO of Do Goodery. Christiana's story from a farming family to leading Disney's environmental affairs and eventually founding Do Goodery, a national social impact agency for changemakers, is truly inspiring and decodes how great organizations are powering their success while empowering their communities. We pose these questions and many more in today's episode of Capital Class. We hope you enjoy. Christiana, welcome to Capital Class. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, man. I, I'm so happy we finally found time to get on the show together. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the rise of corporate social responsibility in companies meaningfully engaging. And I think of myself as a CEO and, you know, that the expectations have to go beyond just the business, right? It's not just hey, I'm doing CSR because it's good for my company. It's got to have a real meaningful impact. And I think of your work at Do Goodery, how do you work with companies like mine? And, and, and what exactly do you do? <laughs> That's funny. You should ask, Adam. We are, we are still trying to figure that out or figure out how to talk about it. But to, to say it in sort of the most uncomplicated way, we work with brands to help them figure out what their social impact strategies are. So some people really care about women in the workforce. Some people really care about social justice and equity. Some people care about sustainability. Some people care about youth education. And so we really help organizations understand sort of what areas of social impact, like what, like the sustainable development goals. We'll just, that's on the back of my, um, that's behind me and really help them think through what makes sense. What space does it make sense for you to play in? So for example, Amazon, um, studios is one of our clients and they do a lot of interesting content and they were like, we're doing all this interesting content and we feel like there should be an educational component to it, whether it was Stacey Abrams' all-in film, One Night in Miami, but that there was more than just the film. And so we partnered with Amazon Studios to help them bring those films to life, bring them into the classroom, bring them into community centers, to use those films as a sort of jumping off point to get kids more civically engaged, to think about sustainability. So that's one example. But another sort of completely different example is the California Water Service Company. They're the largest privately held water company west of the Mississippi. 
And they are really thinking about their future, right? Because without water, they have no business. And you know, also thinking about the next generation of their employees and their talent. So we've been running a program for them for about 10 years um, that fourth, fifth, and sixth grade students all across the state of California are actually designing solutions around water, whether it's water conservation, water protection, water access. And I know it seems funny, like, what do these fourth, fifth, or sixth graders know how to, how do they know how to do any of this? And it will blow your mind, right? Like, it will blow your mind what these kids come up with. And so Cal Water, I will always hold up as sort of our exemplar client. They have invested a lot of money in this program. They've invested a lot of time in this program because they genuinely believe in investing in young people, right? And investing in this messaging around caring for water. And they put their money where their mouth is. And so those are just two examples of some of the clients that we work with. But you can see like they're they're both education focused, but both very different platforms, very different sort of access points. Um, but I think that's like a, a good example to talk about how <laughs> how wide it's sort of a, a oh God, I don't even know how to say this, but like we span so many different topic areas and work with so many different types of companies. You know, it feels like when corporate social responsibility started, and this is an outsider's view, right? I'm not in the space. It was from the marketing department. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was done in a way I'm going to say this and I don't mean, you know, there's probably many companies that did it the right way, but it was done in some way of around branding, right? We're going to be carbon zero. We're going to break the glass ceiling, right? This company's going to do things differently. And you took it at face value. You're like, I guess they're going to be carbon zero. And I feel like the consumer, the customer, there, the, the internet has begun to hold these organizations accountable. Um, and I don't, I don't mean it like they needed it, but more that I think that it's created a level of intentionality where it's not just what we say we're going to do. It's something we're going to do. Are you seeing that shift in the market? Like, have you run into it where there's groups that it's maybe more for a brand than it is maybe than a mission? So it's funny to ask, Adam, I was actually sort of, my career was born during the time that CR was really born, um, that really became a thing. So I started off at Disney when I was 25 years old in the environmental affairs division. And at the time, no, sorry, environmental policy. But the great irony was Disney didn't have an environmental policy at the time, even though we had a department <laughs> called environmental policy. And separately from that, there was international labor standards. And separately from that, there was worldwide outreach. That was like volunteerism, philanthropy. And I was very fortunate to come to Disney at the same exact time that Bob Iger became CEO and Tom Staggs was CFO. I just read his and, book, by the way. Oh, here's like the third person to tell me that. That's you so funny. You have to read it. Yeah, no, I have. I have read it. <laughs> and I feel like I was part of so much of that, not myself, but there during those days. And Tom Staggs, his CFO, really had this very clear vision for what corporate responsibility should look like and thought it was sort of interesting and wild that all these three divisions were separate. And he's like, we need to, we need to, we need to put this all together because it's all towards the same mission of a responsible behavior, responsible behaving company. And so I was very fortunate to be under the tutelage of this woman by the name of Dr. Beth Stevens 
who came in and ran our environmental affairs. She developed the whole department around it. That's when we started talking about carbon offsets, carbon taxes, and really looking at corporate responsibility more than just let's plant a tree for every time we take a flight, right? Because that kind of stuff doesn't, it does, I mean, it's nice, but it's not what's going to change the world. And so really I, I was, this was I'm so happy to share my age. This was in 2005, 2006, 2007. So this is really like right after Al Gore did Inconvenient Truth and all of a sudden everybody was driving a Prius and everyone had a reusable shopping bag, you know, but nobody actually knew what real impact looked like. And so I think over the course of the past 16, 17 years, since it's become, you know, a much more visible aspect of how companies do business, um, you're right. They're, they're, it did spawn out of a marketing department and a lot of companies still live, you know, live or their CR lives in marketing, um, which is fine. But for us, how we look at corporate responsibility, we only want to work with brands that authentically want to have a commitment to doing good work and the right work and real impactful work. Because for us, we're doing a marketing campaign about, I don't know, turning out the lights or whatever. It's nice, but that's not how you change the world. And it's not how you change behavior. So when we think about corporate responsibility, we want to work with companies that are really invested, truly invested all the way from the C-suite down in doing the right thing. And again, the right thing can mean something very different for the brand, depending on who the brand is, because, you know, some companies shouldn't be working in social or shouldn't, shouldn't be working necessarily in youth education. Some shouldn't be working in women in the workforce. Everybody's different. So for us, we start at a place where it's like, okay, what do we think you could actually accomplish with your brand and actually have a meaningful impact? And that people would look at you and go, oh, that makes sense versus doing something so off the wall that wouldn't connect with the brand. Um, and so in our work now, we are seeing more companies that are genuinely committed to, to doing more impactful work than just bright and shiny marketing campaigns. But we have a long way to go. Long, 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 long way to go. And, you know, it is, it's hard work, you know, because you have to be, you have to spend the money. People think doing good should be cheap. And that it couldn't be farther from the truth because doing good usually means a lot of human hours and a lot of people time and a lot of brains to figure out how to do good community work and environmental work and governance and all this stuff. Um, and you also have to be willing to sort of put your neck on the line and just put it out there and be like, we're going to do something really bold and our investors may not like it. Our customers may not like it, but at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do. So there's a lot of reasons why companies aren't taking, can, you know, can we live here for a second? Can we like yeah. nestle down in this? You took the word out of my mouth. It feels, you mean hard is the wrong. It was like people should do hard things. It's, it's almost like you don't even know where to start. Yeah. Right. Like, and I'll use our own example. We began, oh gosh, a year or plus trying to source all of our client gifts <laughs> from small minority owned businesses. Good for you. Okay. The, the brain hours. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. Right. And I, know, I, don't mean, I, and I don't mean it in like a flipping way. It was worth <laughs> the challenge, but like the brain hours to figure this out. And then the delivery time, like this is hard. The, there's a vision, you know, I'd say we're moving towards it where we would do a carbon offset, right? There's groups that do this. We fly. Now when you buy your airplane ticket, you'll see your carbon. 
right? It's very tangible, but those two systems don't talk. So there'd have to be a manual interlay of like, okay, when do you true up? And, and then how are you sure that the group that's doing the offset is even doing anything? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Adam, that's such a good point. And, and I must commend you for working that hard and figuring out how to do your swag, because a lot of people will never do that because it's just a lot easier to go to, you know, swag.com. And look, we've used Amazon, right? I, I don't want to like, like, who in hasn't? The, I, I, I'm not <laughs> trying hasn't? to like lay, lay the marker down that like, we're the model. It's just, we move towards it and we work at it. And like, we're making progress, right? Like it was women-owned businesses. Then we're like, okay. Then it was minority women-owned businesses, right? And so you're, you're, I mean, and, and so like where we landed is we have kind of this purchasing matrix, right? And these are the approved, approved vendors, right? Talk about like, you know, we're, we're not that bureaucratic, but this is who we buy from. And you pick off the list, what you want to send your clients and there you go. And like, that's how we've modified it to be modular enough for a company that's spread across the country like us. But I do see if you're, especially where if your CSR could disengage your buyers, your customers, right? What if your CSR goals impact revenue negatively? Well, I think I always say, I'm like, well, what does revenue and profit actually mean, right? Do you, Fair. <laughs> you know, because like, like for companies that have like where you'll see them get taken to task and, and not because like they've done something wrong because they've just taken a stance, right? So do you hate Patagonia because Patagonia made a stance? You're like, some people love them for it. Some people see them as like they're using their B Corp status to sell more, uh, Quarter zips, right? <laughs> Quarter zips. Yeah. I mean, well, Patagonia also is sort of like, you know, the the godfather of, uh, of you know, sustainable production because they've been doing it before it was even named, right? Like they have been doing the ship before it was cool. And, you know, Patagonia has not, their bottom line sure hasn't suffered because of it. You know, so I think when people think about, you know, when they start forecasting and doing projections and building out operating budgets, like how you build those costs into your products, right? And so, and again, it's hard, but it's not hard. <laughs> and so I think the thing that I get frustrated with is, you know, things have become so easy for us to purchase. Like just looking at the supply chain issue that's happening right now. And like, I, I grew up in the South Bay. So Pedro, San Pedro is like a big part of my life, which is where the harbor is. And when I go visit my, my, my family and to see all those ships just sitting, just sitting, waiting to come in to Harbor, but the can, so food's being spoiled, products being wasted. Like it's making me crazy because we've made it so easy to consume. And so I feel like we as consumers also need to do a better job of holding companies accountable to how they're thinking about developing product, how they're sourcing product. And so, you know, it, it is hard and it's not, and it has to go both ways. Like companies really have to do a better job of being responsible, but we have to demand it. And companies also have to expect us to change behavior as well. Right. So like it is, it's, there's, everybody has to participate. Like saving the world is literally a team sport. And if we're going to figure this shit out, sorry, sorry, you can bleep that out. Um, you know, like everybody right. has to participate. 
everybody has to participate um, because ultimately it's a brighter future that we all hope for. I don't have kids, but majority of my friends do. And I look at them, I'm like, my God, what kind of world are we going to leave you? We need to figure this out. So do the work, everybody. <laughs> when you advise groups at a high level, right? Because there's probably so many answers to this, but as businesses wade into this, if you had to give them a North Star, like how, how do they start? I think that's a, that's a key piece that many companies, they don't know where to begin. And I think, I think the, the threat of scrutiny almost puts people into this box of inaction, right? Like oh, I'd rather do nothing. For sure. Oh God, Adam, I'm so glad you brought that up because yes, it, it, there's a lot of shame tied to this too, right? And you're doing and, the good thing and you could potentially yeah. get shame for it. You're like, wait, what? How could that Absolutely. happen? Absolutely. So for us, like our North Star is like, there's no shame. There's no shaming here. We're all starting from the same place together. And so, you know, for us, the most important thing, once again, I'll go back to is this idea of the authentic commitment that they are not trying to get us to fix a problem, a public relations problem for them. They're not trying to make us put lipstick on a pig, but they genuinely want to have significant impact. So we're like, okay, let's figure out where to start. And then we have to meet our clients where they are. Some are already well, well advanced in their corporate responsibility and like they're actually like doing the right thing and they just want to beef it up. Some are at the very beginning and going, I literally don't know where to start. And so we sit there and we sit around a table and we go, okay, let's figure this out. Right. So it's Adam, that was such a poignant, poignant, poignant perspective because people shouldn't have to feel like they're going to, that people are going to judge them or, you know, cause they're going to get judged regardless. This we live in that world. Right. But if at the end of the day, your intentions are the right ones, like you kind of have to hold on to that. And know that you are going to be working with the right people, whoever, whoever your partners are, whether it's internal, external, that everyone has the same sort of vision and commitment to doing the right thing. And then sort of put blinders on and forget what people say while you're doing it. When you began this, like go way back, how, how did you get into this right thing? Like, what? Well, it's, it's so funny. Um, so I grew up with immigrant parents. My dad was from Germany and my mother is from El Salvador. My dad grew up during World War II, and my mom came from a sort of big agriculture background, both uh, entrepreneurs in their own right. They came here with no money. And um, I grew up with two parents and older sisters who always worked really hard and always treated their employees right. Like that is just sort of a world that I grew up in. Um, sustainability was part of my upbringing, too, just by the nature of where my parents grew up and that, you know, it wasn't because it was the cool thing to do. It was an actual survival, you know, having to reuse, recycle and use all of your food, eat all your food. Like that's just the world I grew up in. And so when I was younger, I got into um, my long story, but my best friend, her family were like our, like the environmentalists of the neighborhood. And this was the early nineties. Nobody was talking about this stuff. Right. And so they were like the hippies and everyone was like, and I, I became friends with them. And so I started doing like a lot of environmental work. And my dad was like, you should think about, you know, when you go to college pursuing, you know, a degree in, you know, some kind of environmental science. And I was like, pop, no one's what? No, there's no jobs in the environment. Like I wanted to be a stockbroker. Don't even ask me. I why. thought about well, being a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Like I think like, 
you know, and especially like, cause I, I, I'm a kid of the eighties and nineties and it was a very different time then, right? Like you're like lawyer, doctor, business person. But I just knew that I wanted to like have a briefcase and fly on airplanes. That's literally all I knew that I wanted to do. So I told my dad, I was like, oh, you're crazy pop. Um, anyway, I went to college for political science and I did an internship in DC and my second internship there, it was during George Bush's inauguration, George Bush the second, right? Yeah. And happily admit that I did not vote for him, but who's going to say no to going to an inaugural ball? So I went to a ball and I was talking to all these girls and they were um, very nice. We're having this good discussion and they were from the East Coast. And they're like, so where do you, where do you go to school? And I was like, San Diego State. And they literally looked at me and they went, huh, turned around and walked away. And I was like, oh, bitches. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to work in DC. And it was like, I really wanted to be a lobbyist for a good cause. Like that's what I wanted to do. And then when I realized just how much I did not want to be in that political sort of arena, I was like, oh my God, what the hell am I going to do with myself? So fast forward, I moved back to LA. Um, and my, I graduated my sister, um, both my sisters, this is silliest story. Both my sisters went to the same dentist. His wife, was the director of environmental policy at Disney. And my sister was telling him about me and she's, and he's like, Oh my God, he, she needs to meet my wife. She needs to submit a resume. And the job was to run environmental youth programs for Disney. So it was like environmental competition for elementary schools. It was taking a kid, uh, taking a group of kids on horseback on the tournament of roses parade. It was doing government relations. It was like my dream job. Everything you said you wanted to do maybe with or without the briefcase. Totally, totally. But then when I knew there was policy work and I got to carry a briefcase onto a plane to Sacramento, I was like, I'm in. And I totally thought I had the job. I was like, I'm a shoe in because I was a baby. I didn't know how this worked. Right. And so she didn't want to hire me. She wanted to hire somebody else. I had eight interviews, literally eight interviews over eight months. And they finally hired the manager, the manager who was hiring my position, who was like, her name's Kate, ball busting. 411 gal, brilliant, but tough. And so she fought for me and she ended up getting, getting me hired. Um, and she, it was one of the hardest years of my life working for this woman. Hardest year. Cause I have never, ever, ever been ridden so hard. And like, just like called to task all the time, like all the time. And I was like, this woman is making me crazy. And she ended up leaving and I rolled into her position and, you know, looking back on it, she was probably one of the most poignant leaders of my life because she saw something in me, but she also did not like, she like, there was no, no like leniency at all. She's like, I'm going to make you work and I'm going to make the best of who you are. And she did, you know? And then, so anyway, so fast forward, um, that's when Bob and, and Tom were just getting corporate responsibility really off the ground. Dr. Beth comes in, she takes me under her wing and I get to work directly for Tom Staggs, the CFO, like I'm pitching to him. And like, I'm like 26 or 27. I remember I would like be sweating so profusely under my jacket <laughs> before I had to meet with him. I'm like, I can't believe they want me to meet with him in front of him. And so it was this really interesting journey at Disney where I got to do really big, high profile projects working across the enterprise. And then there was this massive um, leadership shift where Tom went to take over parks and resorts and this other guy, Jay Rizzullo came in to take over as CFO. So that's kind of when my world exploded. Um, I was poached from Beth's team to another team and 
Ooh, I don't think they knew what they were doing when they asked to have me come work for them. Um, and it was just like, uh, it was a really hard team to work for because they didn't really understand corporate responsibility and social impact. Like had no idea really what it was, but they understood marketing. And so my soul was dying. It was dying. It was dying inside, but they kept giving me more money and more responsibility. And I was like, this isn't working. So I had the strange opportunity to go and work for an environmental nonprofit in D.C. as the deputy director. It was a uh, half a million dollars in debt. Um, the job offer was zero dollars, just the title, and I would have to raise my own money. So I went from giving away millions of dollars at Disney to having to raise money. But then I did that for seven years, helped build the team out, like became an international organization raised millions of dollars. And I realized I was good at uh, sort of corporate partnerships, building corporate programs. And then um, in 2018, uh, I was in Maine with a colleague of mine. We were shooting a documentary from one of our clients. And we had originally thought we should go do a social impact production company. And we started going down that path in July of 2018. And I was really excited because I loved doing production work and I loved storytelling and I love social impact. And then in December uh, 2018, my dad died unexpectedly of a uh, blood clot. And so it was, so it was genuinely unexpected. And he was down in El Salvador um, in my mom's childhood home. And the irony there is that they were very divorced, but anyway, that's a whole other story. So um, because it was so unexpected, he was still running his aerospace engineering company and my sisters decided that I was the best person to take over as CEO for that company um, while they were handling other parts of his affairs. Because our dad was like, we owned a date farm. We literally had like a date farm in Palm Desert. Like wow. my dad was, yeah. So we all sort of divided and conquered. Um, and I took that company over while trying to start do goodery. And then sort of had this major revelation that I didn't want to just do production work. Um, I loved the social impact consulting. I loved building programs. And at the same time, my business partner had this amazing opportunity to come his way. And so we decided to go our separate ways. And I completely pivoted and turned Dugutery into a consulting agency. And that was the spring of 20... No, we officially launched in October of 2019. And here we are today. So, yeah. We talk a lot about the journey. And it's... I think from an ins from an outsider's perspective, it always looks a lot different than it does from the insider's perspective, right? The insider's perspective is the doubt, right? The loneliness, uh, also the success and the satisfaction. I, I reflect, you know, take me back for a minute. You're financially increasing in success at Disney. You're working for probably one of the most recognized brands on the globe. And you quit. <laughs> yeah. Kind of floored everybody. Because um, I did have really. a job with no pay, <laughs> yeah. which is okay. Like when you interview other folks, this is like a common, there is these jumping off points that, that you just, they're parallels in almost every story we have on the show. What, what, was, what was that experience like? You know, I am someone who very much is heart centered. Like I'm very oriented to intuition and sort of how my heart feels um, without trying to sound like airy fairy. But for me, like for me to be like the highest performing show pony, like I have to feel like I am in a place where I feel safe, 
or I feel like um, it's collaborative, or I feel like I'm being heard, because I, I will be very honest, I'm a hard person to manage, because I have a big personality, and I kind of don't like being managed. But if you know how to take all of this in me and just go, go, then you will have the best, best team member that you will ever ask for, you know, and I've been very lucky to have those kind of leaders like Dr. Beth Stevens, who was like, okay, let's, let's, let's get you out the gates and let's get you out there. And Tom Staggs, right? Like I was so young, but they both saw something in me and they just let me go. So by that point at Disney, it was crazy. I was like doing, I was doing like on air stuff with Disney channel. Like I, like it was, there was so many sweet things happening with the job at the same time, but like my heart just didn't feel it. And for me, like I have to be so genuinely excited and enthusiastic about something and believe in it in order to give my all. And so when I saw that really like dying, I was like, I don't want to be that shitty employee, you know, that has a chip on her shoulder. I don't ever want to be that person. Cause that's like, that's, like the worst version of myself. And so, um, so yeah, so for me, and I, I always want to say this to people too, because at the time when I made this decision, I was 32 years old and no kids, not married. The only responsibility I really had was mortgage. And so I did also have like, I had a lot of latitude in that sense where, you know, I, I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do because if that didn't work out, like I knew like my coaches and mentors were like, you have a fantastic CV, so you can jump back into the marketplace if you need to. So, and the funny thing was that the, I, I was really going back and forth and back and forth. And then the kicker that just sort of like, the, it was the last straw was when my boss at the time decided that she wanted to have daily one-on-ones with me. And I was like, Nope. I'm out. It was like, literally it was like, the, it was already on the edge, but it was that one that I was like, are you crazy? So, you know, so anyway, so I, this poor girl, like I feel so badly for Adele when I think about her, I'm like, Oh God, I feel bad that you even thought that managing me, taking me onto your team would be a good idea. Um, but that's 10 years of, of time that's passed, but yeah, I just did it. And growing up with a family that has genuinely all of my family, my sisters, my parents, like are all risk takers and it's just sort of our nature. Um, and yeah, you know, and again, always want to acknowledge like the, the privileges I had to be able to do that too. I think definitely worth recognizing those, but I also think there's something to be said about, and it's like a cliche term, right? But there's this, a lack of willing to sacrifice, right? Like I'm not going to sacrifice how I feel or and not like I had a bad day. I'm quitting my job. Right. I think there's almost too much of that more like. You said, I, I don't want to stay to the point where I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. And I, and I see a lot of that when I talk to people there. Well, I'm going to do another year here, or I'm going to do this job till I'm 50, stack away money, and then go travel, right? You're like, you know, just sacrifices on sacrifices for some end time, but that eventually when they get to 50, they'll convince themselves to do it for 10 more years. Yeah, I see that happen all the time. Uh, there's a lot of my colleagues at Disney actually. You know? And so back to like in your very specific case, you knew inside of you that there was something else for you to pursue and like money wasn't going, wasn't going to drive your decisions. No, because the one thing that I learned about myself is I know how to make money. I've always known how to make it. I, it since I was a kid, you know, all entrepreneurs just, do right. Like, yeah, and yeah, you know, you can yeah. go back to it. I, I, yeah. 
this binary of like, well, if I don't do Disney, then my story's over, right? Like I'm dead. And you're like, no. Right. And th this is everywhere, right? It's like, I, I want to start this business, but like I have to wait for the perfect time. That'll never show up. I can't leave my job because I don't know if I'm ever going to find another job. You're going to find another job, right? Like, and it's just that unfailing belief in ourselves uh, that, that really supported you. Yeah. You know, and it's funny you bring that up, Adam, you know, Disney working for Disney, right? Like it was like my calling card. It was easy to get into any room that I needed to get into. It was any meeting that I needed to get like, you know, you sort of sit, you're like the queen of the castle when you work, especially when you work in the philanthropic side where you're the, you're the lady with the money, you know, and that it was hard to walk away from that, not because of the power, but just the access and, you know, just never having to think about how the hell am I going to buy a pen for my office, you know, um, but, and I always, but I, I always want to be so careful too of, of, you know, talking about my journey in that, like, you know, there's things that are just innate in me that have sort of helped me be who I am, right? There's a lot of things from my childhood that were not awesome, but I had to find survival skills and those survival skills sort of helped me who, to be who I am today, you know, and like, we're all built so differently. But the one thing that I, I always say to people, I'm like, don't ever fall into the victim mode. Don't ever fall into that place. Always give yourself options because the moment you start feeling like the victim, nothing happens and you'll just stay in this cycle of shit, you know, and it's just like this vortex of drama. And it, that's where people, I think like if I can just impart that on anybody, it's just to like, don't that, change what you can change, you know, and stop blaming everybody else for your problems. It doesn't mean you have to go start a business, but you know, so like that to me is always my thing is because we're all built so differently. So I don't expect somebody to follow my journey, but you know, the one thing that I know for sure is like the moment I ever felt like a victim, my dad, first of all, would just like metaphorically slap me into, you know, the next room. But it just like also wasn't allowed in my family at all, at all, given what they come from. So I think about as a business owner, it's extreme ownership, not even about like the equity and cap table. It's there's no one to call, <laughs> right? Like March 15th, uh, I shot a video. I don't I've ever told the staff this. I shot a video. We lost the equivalent of what we make in payroll in a day. Oh no. Right. Mm, and yes. I shot this video because I wanted to remember the moment and I left the house. I went and actually played golf, which is like my Good. kind of thing. I went and, yeah. and I thought uh, by myself, I said, you know, it would be an incredible story. Imagine the story about taking a business that lost all this payroll, you know, lost the equivalent of our payroll. We, we had money and kept it alive, right? No layoffs, no furloughs. And it led me down this path of like empowerment. Like, and I, I would tell other entrepreneurs, like, you got to be Captain Kirk. You got to look out into the abyss and you have to just know and to your point, there's no victim. I think that that's true for a lot of business owners and for a lot of folks that are maybe stuck somewhere that want to be somewhere else. There's no one helicoptering in, right? Yeah. It's kind of on you. And when that becomes empowering and not defeating, watch out. I mean, the, the world will work in your favor. 
It does. It does. And, you know, it's funny that you bring that up, Adam, about there's no one else. And the one, you know, thing that a couple of things that I've been very, very adamant about is I see a therapist every week. So I have someone that I can talk to about a gajillion different things. And I actually just started working with an executive coach. Um, I'm building a new business venture. And so uh, sort of aligned with do-goodery, but separate from do-goodery. Um, and I'm really excited about it. And I decided to bring on another female executive coach. And today was our first session. And it's so funny. I said, it's really nice to be able to talk to somebody that is completely objective to my world. So you can, because I don't know if you go through this, Adam, but sometimes I feel like I sort of have to play small because I don't want to make people feel badly. I don't want to, you know what I mean? So I don't want to talk about the big ideas at all because I just don't want to make people feel insecure, whatever. So having an executive coach has been great because she doesn't care, right? Like she's here to support me, but like she's happy if I succeed because if I succeed, that's better for her, you know? So I feel like it's so important to have mentors, coaches, tools, therapists, whatever, because it's fucking lonely up here you know I'm like oh my god and you know and you never I never want to dump my stuff onto the team ever you know like I have a few team members that are sort of in my executive dumb that you know I do consult with and you know I'm very honest with um but you know at the end of the day like I don't want to sit here in front of my staff and go well guys I'm not sure if we're going to make Q3 in you know uh, payroll. That's not the case, but you know, there's just times where I'm like, this is hard, but I can't let the team know that because I, my job is to make them feel safe and secure. So yeah, it's lonely and hard. And every entrepreneur tells you this. So like, it can't just be you. It's not because I'm telling you, I've been through the same road. You know, yeah. I, I'm interested in your thoughts. There's, there's you that's public facing, right? There's CEO you, but there's probably another you right? There's the, like, what, what is the, the people don't see? How do you unplug? How do you recharge? Oh yeah. For me, um, one of the most important things is hiking. Hiking is actually like, it is, it is my, um, it's everything for me. And I, I actually just did the, the Camino de Santiago, um, in Spain last October. Like I had reached a break and also like ended a, a long relationship. And I was like, I am going to explode and I don't want my head to explode in front of everybody. So I need to go do something. So I did this like beautiful pilgrimage and, but I do like my own pilgrimages ev- almost every day. I, uh, if I can't get to a hike, then I will go walk for miles. You know, I wake up at 5am every day, you know, I do my thing in the morning and then it's light enough out and I go out or I'll go to yoga. Um, so that's kind of like my personal recovery time. And then being with friends and sharing meals and cocktails, like that is a big part of my life too, is, is people, food, drink, and like experiences. Those are sort of like I need all of those things, but the most important thing is that I have time for just me. That is actually the most important thing that allows me to be who I am in this world. Because if I don't go back and recharge and just have a little time to be introverted, um, I'm useless. I'm absolutely useless. So that's that's my jam is nature, being outdoors. What an incredible interview! And, oh, and thanks. I, I've really we've really enjoyed it, and I, and I think the oh my God, it's over. That's crazy that you speak with is really important. Uh, and oh. I think more and more CEOs need to be comfortable with just saying, you know, I'm not always perfect, right? I'm, I'm not always ready to go, but that doesn't mean you always tell your staff that, but it's okay <laughs> to feel that. Oh, Look, we end every show the same way, which is big predictions. Ooh. And I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Okay. As an entrepreneur, what are the big trends emerging that interest you? 
Hmm. Hmm. I think the big trends that are really interesting me are this sort of new generation, the next, like the, like the new generations looking at companies to be better corporate citizens and wanting that. And so what does that actually mean? Cause there's one thing to want it. There's one thing to purchase against it. And there's one thing, you know, to actually like, like what you guys did with your, with your sourcing for your, your, your client swag. And so I'm really curious to see how that comes to life. Um, you know, because it, it, there, there's been so around the political arena and the social justice arena and the environmental arena and climate change, everybody's so overwhelmed right now at war. There is literally a war happening right now. And so I'm, at, oh, oh, and COVID, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God. And so yeah, I feel COVID. like every, oh Jesus, I I'm feel like everybody COVID. just, I know. LA, I think, finally just lifted our mask mandates. But I think there's just everyone so fatigued with everything. So I'm actually really curious to see what this means, you know, in the next five to 10 years. Like, how do we take all of this fatigue and do something with it instead of feeling burnt out? So uh, my predictions are, I, I, and maybe it's me being Pollyanna, but I genuinely believe people are going to want to have like more authentic experiences and feel good about how they walk in this world. So I hope that's reflected in, in company behavior and corporate behavior too. Love it. Greatest area of growth for you in the coming year that you're willing Ooh. to share, right? Obviously. Yeah. Might- um, well, you know, the consulting business is a very hard business to make very profitable because it's all human capital. Our product is people. So that's why I'm working on a new business venture that will be, hopefully, if it goes the way I hope it will, will be a little more profitable that will allow me to help keep doing this work without having to worry so much about making large margins. Um, Because for us to be a consultant, it doesn't mean just writing a deck and handing it over. Uh, We like, we give our blood, sweat and tears to our clients and we're happy to, but that's what makes it unprofitable. So, you know, um, the sort of biggest predictions for, or the biggest sort of projections for us is taking on much bigger clients moving down the line where, you know, they have the kind of funds that, that we need to do the work that we want to do well. And um, where it would actually give us a little bit more profit margin too. I can't wait to see it. I I believe it. (laughs) <laughs> thank you <laughs> favorite podcast that we're not listening to but we should Ooh. be um i love latino usa only because of you know my roots and and all of that and maria you know hosta is amazing um but you know another one that i love that my sister introduced me to is called on being with krista tippett and it's very much about like she interviews all these amazing spiritual leaders and it's a lot about mindfulness and slowing down as you, I've had no caffeine today and this is how I operate. So, <laughs> you know, for me, like, it's like, I need tools to learn how to slow down. So, um, on being for me is, is that one. And the, cause it's, it's very calm voice and interesting sort of theories and thoughts. And yeah. So what's your favorite podcast? Oh, uh, my, I'll tell you, I'm in this, uh, masters of scale. It's the CEO of LinkedIn. <laughs> And I don't love long podcasts. That's why I try to keep our show consolidated. And he gets you through a lot of interesting ideas. And then there's a single episode. I'm not in love with the guy. I'll, <laughs> one day I'll tell him, but Tim Ferriss has an episode about the metaverse. I, I have a hard time with Tim. Mm-hmm. Understood. For a, whole, <laughs> for a whole lot of other reasons. But this specific episode is uh, with two gentlemen that speak in depth about web three 
Okay. And I've listened to this episode like a out. number of times. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. Let's so yeah. Check but, it out. All right. Last thing. I have traveled yeah. a, most. My wife and I flew one way around the world. Like I'm all about travel. Ooh. What's the one place in the world that you think everybody needs to visit at least once? Oh God, you know, I don't want to say it out loud because I don't want everyone to go, you know, because everyone's going to listen to me. So yeah, next, I, you know, everyone's going to go. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So honestly, for me, this experience I had in Spain doing this pilgrimage for the Camino de Santiago was the most magical experience of my life, truly. And I have traveled a ton, you know, just by nature of coming from immigrant parents, it's just been part of my DNA because um, we were always going back and forth to both countries to see our families, their families. But the Camino de Santiago is is really special. It's really something special. And um, it is, yeah, or any kind of pilgrimage. It doesn't have to be there. But if you are someone who likes to move and walk and be outdoors, it, it's life-changing. It's life, for me it was. I can't even begin to tell you the magical things that happened on this trip that have sort of informed and helped me where I am today in just a few months. So including this new business. Christiana Martins, thank you for an incredible interview. And thank you so much for your time today. We really enjoyed having you on the show. Oh, thank you, Adam. This was so fun. This was so nice to be on this side of the, of the mic. I do a lot of interviewing myself. So I'm like, oh, this is so much more fun. <laughs> Thank you for joining today's class with Christiana Mertens. Christiana's life work of empowering communities while powering companies has blazed her path to the successful entrepreneur she is today. Christiana's proof of growing an enterprise while growing impact makes the case for every organization to consider their role in our global community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an idea for our next class, please email me directly at adam.geary at gmail.com. You've been listening to Capital Class, a venture with the Strategus Podcast Network. Learn more at strategusgroup.com. I'm Adam Geary. Class is closed.